And welcome to Mammoth Community Christian Church. It's such a privilege to join with you today as, as we do what we were created to do. This is our purpose in life, to join together and worship our Lord and Savior today. In my sermons recently, we've been hearing Jesus' words that he speaks to seven churches at the book, at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And we're currently hearing his words to the final church, the seventh church, the church in Laodicea. And out of all seven churches that Jesus has a special message for, this is the only church to which Jesus says nothing positive. Nothing positive. There seems to be no redeeming quality in this church. There seems to be no praiseworthy aspect. It's a church, in fact, that's in danger of being rejected by Jesus Christ because of its spiritual condition. So let's hear again Jesus' words to this church. Jesus says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth, literally in the Greek, vomit you out. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. We've spent time in previous weeks looking carefully at this spiritual lukewarmness that's so dangerous that it can cause a church, a group of believers to be vomited out of Jesus' mouth. It, it makes Jesus sick, and he threatens to vomit them out. We learned about the dangers of the lukewarmness of external legalism, in which we think we're right with God because of all that we do for God. When in reality, we may not have allowed the grace, that grace at the center of the gospel to enter into our lives, to transform us, to teach us that Jesus doesn't accept us because we do so much for him. He accepts us out of his mercy and love when we've done nothing to deserve it. We then clarified what Jesus is not speaking about when he mentions lukewarmness. When Jesus describes being spiritually lukewarm, he's not speaking about those among us who struggle with depression and deep sorrow. And there's a mental health crisis right now among teenagers, deep struggles with depression. And I'm gonna speak about this regularly because you matter to God and Jesus sees you and he loves you. And Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We then received a message of hope through Isaiah 40. 
that God gives to those specifically who struggle with weariness and sorrow and depression and yet who choose to place their hope in him. We saw that they mount up with wings like eagles. Then last time I spoke, we turned to the lukewarmness of intellectualism, a condition in which we keep our relationship with God at this conceptual level. We learn so much about God, but we don't allow God to transform our hearts and our lives. It's more than about what you know. It's about, about, about encountering God's love. And, and encountering God's love is the remedy Scripture gives us for those times when we get so into our head, we forget that it's a living relationship with God. Now, today we're going to see that the self-sufficiency of the believers in the city of Laodicea led to a self-confidence that prevented them from seeing their actual desperate spiritual condition. Jesus confronts the church in this way. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Today we're going to consider what Jesus may be referring to when he says these things to Laodicea, when he diagnoses their condition in this way. And we're going to look at what we can learn today, what Jesus is speaking to us today through his words to them. In previous weeks, I mentioned that Laodicea was located on the most important highway running from Ephesus in the west all the way across modern-day Turkey to Syria in the east. This is a, a very populated area, wealthy area, a very important area, and Laodicea was right on this important trade route, and, and so the city was so enmeshed in the commerce that passed through its gates, that its entire life as a city was basically known as, as this hub of international trade. And so it prospered. It became a great banking center, a financial center. It became one of the wealthiest cities in the world at that time. When Cicero, the Roman politician, philosopher and orator was traveling through modern-day Turkey, he chose Laodicea as a place where he'd cash his checks, do his financial exchanges. This was the New York, the, the London of the Mediterranean region. The financial power of the city can also be seen in its response to an earthquake that, that leveled the city in 61 A.D., the, the city is destroyed, and the historian Tacitus tells us that the, Sidians, the citizens of Laodicea were so wealthy that when the, the Roman Empire offered to rebuild their city, they said, no, we don't need your money. We're rich enough. They basically said to the Roman emperor what Jesus here quotes them as saying, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. Keep your money. They rebuilt their city out of their own pocket. Yet Jesus is telling them here and us through them that their financial self-sufficiency 
is leading and might be leading in our lives to a self-confidence that blinds them from seeing their actual spiritual condition. Even though the believers in the city of Laodicea see themselves as self-sufficient and as possessing all that they need, their actual spiritual reality is that they are in desperate need. Jesus says, you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. And he then gives them three instructions, two that we'll look at today, one that we'll look at next time I speak. First, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. But wait a second. The Laodiceans have pockets that are filled with gold, literally. And Jesus tells them that they are poor, that they lack gold. That's the one thing they have. Jesus says, no, you lack gold. In other words, the gold that Jesus here offers is not earthly gold. It's not earthly wealth. It's spiritual. It's eternal wealth. And it happens to be far more valuable than the earthly gold that's filling their pockets. And the way that these merchants who filled their pockets with gold through commerce and trade, through the most important route in their city, the way that they can receive this spiritual gold, Jesus says, is by buying it from him. They would have understood this. They buy and sell. Jesus says, buy it from me. In other words, Jesus is calling them to an exchange. He's calling them to give Jesus something and receive something. That's what you do when you buy. You exchange. You give something. You receive something. He's calling them to let go of false wealth and the meaning that false wealth fills them with. To let their empty hands then be filled with true wealth, spiritual wealth, eternal wealth. Today, what's filling your pockets? What's filling our hands? So what is this eternal spiritual gold that Jesus offers? Our passage today doesn't give us the answer. But first, Peter fills in this blank. Then we read this, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is telling us that our faith, our confidence, our trust, our dependence upon Jesus Christ is of greater worth than gold, earthly gold. This is heavenly gold. This is faith refined and purified through fire. And the thing that refines and purifies this spiritual gold that scripture says is faith, that the purifying is the trials, the trials of our lives, the hardships. They purify our faith. They remove impurities and inconsistencies. They enable us, these trials that purify us, enable us to grow closer to our Savior. 
So faith is of greater worth than gold. So what is faith? In, faith? in Scripture, faith refers to the trust that we place in someone or something through our choice to depend upon that person or thing. Let me say that again. In Scripture, faith refers to the trust that we place in someone or something through our choice to depend upon that person or thing. So you can ask the question, what do I place my faith in? And, and look at what you're depending upon. Because what you depend upon is what you are placing your faith in, in your life. And the reality is that each of us must make this choice. Each of us have to choose what it is that we're going to trust in and depend upon as we move through life. Are we going to place our faith in the illusion of self-sufficiency that our earthly wealth gives us? Or are we going to place our faith in Jesus Christ knowing that we are deeply dependent upon him for all that we need? True eternal spiritual gold is the faith of one who recognizes their complete and utter dependence upon Jesus Christ for everything that they need. The Scottish preacher William Barclay says this. He says, wealth can do much, but there are things it can never do. It cannot buy happiness nor give a person health either of body or of mind. It cannot bring comfort in sorrow nor fellowship in loneliness. If all that a person has to meet life with is wealth, that person is poor indeed. But if a person has a faith tried and refined in the crucible of experience, there is nothing which they cannot face. They are rich Indeed. Jesus earlier gave us a vivid description of the person who lacks this faith in God. A person who, who decides, no, I'm going to depend upon myself. I'm going I'm to depend upon my wealth in life. And in Luke 12, we read this. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain. Laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. 
a life that pursues the accumulation of things, things. A a life devoted to the gathering of earthly gold misses a few things. First of all, a life like this misses how fleeting our time on earth really is. We're here much shorter than we realize and, and this life devoted to accumulating earthly gold also misses that this gold is going to be useless to us in eternity. Next, a life devoted to the gold of this world fails to recognize the true gold that matters so much more, immeasurably more, eternal spiritual gold that we can only receive by buying it, exchanging for it with Jesus Christ. Only as we pry open these clenched fists of ours that are just hanging on, right, to our earthly possessions, and as we surrender all that we are and all that we have to Jesus Christ, including our earthly wealth, And as we allow him then to do with our lives and our talents, our abilities and our resources and possessions, whatever he chooses, only then with surrendered open hands can we receive the eternal spiritual gold that nobody can take away, refined by fire, faith that endures And this faith in Jesus Christ, in the the simplest believer, is worth more than having a billion dollars in the bank. It is more valuable for you to have faith in Jesus Christ than to to have a billion dollars in the bank. Next, Jesus tells the Laodiceans to buy from him white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now, in addition to its lucrative baking industry, the city of Laodicea was famous for the fabric it produced from the dark-colored wool of the sheep in the surrounding region. One author describes this famous wool as soft, violet-black, glossy wool. Everyone knew about the wool from Laodicea. The city then mass-produced cheap outer garments in an age when clothing was much more expensive than it is now. For for the average person, a, a tremendous amount of their wealth would go to buying clothing. And so Laodicea was mass-producing these clothes, and one cloak in particular called the Trimida was well-known throughout the Roman Empire. Basically, Laodiceans were clothing experts, and their skill and their, their, their um, trading expertise enabled them to clothe much of the Roman Empire. If there was one thing that Laodiceans did not lack, it was clothes. The clothing trade was one of their main sources of success. Yet Jesus here says, you lack clothes. You lack the thing you think you have. The earthly clothes they produced were very dark in color. And so Jesus tells them, buy from me white clothes to wear. White clothes to cover your shameful nakedness. You need clothes that are the opposite of the clothes you think you have. 
We can translate this a little bit more. You need success. That's the opposite of the success you've gained in the clothing industry. You need real success. You you have a form of empty, hollow success, but that's not good enough. You need true, eternal, spiritual success. Earthly success, academically or in our careers, can actually block our vision. And it can actually prevent us from seeing our spiritual failure. Some of you pray to get into the top school, but, and, and, and some of you do get into the top schools. But sometimes us getting into the top schools can blind us from our spiritual need. We'll come back to this in a moment. So what are these white clothes that Jesus offers? Again, in exchange, buy this from me, exchange. Take white clothes. Like the gold Jesus spoke of, now he's again referring to a spiritual, eternal reality. He's not talking about earthly fabric. This is symbolic and profound. Because throughout the book of Revelation, there are a number of references to white clothes. Again and again throughout the book of Revelation. And one of the most instructive moments is found in Revelation chapter 7, where John sees this powerful scene and he writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then a few verses later, John continues. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The white robes are garments that have been purified and cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Shed on the cross where Jesus experienced God's judgment against our sin that we deserve to experience. By dying in our place under God's judgment and experiencing this spiritual punishment and death that we deserve, Jesus makes a way for us to be forgiven of all the ways that we've rebelled against God, to be forgiven of all the ways that we've hurt others and hurt ourselves. We come to Jesus with our filthy lives broken by sin and rebellion against God. And Jesus takes us and he forgives us, he cleanses us, he washes us, he gives us new white robes. Cleansed in his precious blood poured out on the cross. He makes us pure and clean a condition that we can never be in apart from him. For some of you, this has been a tangible experience. I know a guy who's a pretty tough guy, and for many years, he walked away from Jesus and lived his own way. (coughs) 
And then finally, the day came when he turned his life back over to God, placed his faith in Jesus. And, and what would happen is every single time he'd walk into a church, he would cry and cry and cry. Every single time. And, and he, was, he became concerned. He's like, what's happening to me? I don't normally cry. Every time I go into church and worship God, I just cry. I can't stop. And so he went to an older, wiser Christian, and, and, and that Christian said, you know, God's cleaning you out. God's cleaning you out. The blood of Jesus Christ cleans us out. Jesus also tells the Laodiceans that they are naked. Now to understand this, we have to keep in mind that in the culture of the Greco-Roman region at this time, to be seen naked was considered deeply shameful. This was the worst humiliation. In fact, in Nahum 3.5, God tells a sinful, violent nation, I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. Whereas having one's nakedness exposed was deeply shameful, being clothed in beautiful garments was one of the greatest honors in that culture that you could receive. Think of Joseph when his father gave him a robe of many colors. And then think of Joseph again many years later when he interprets Pharaoh's dreams and Pharaoh rewards him by putting a beautiful robe on him. Think of Daniel. After he interprets the writing on the wall for King Belshazzar, he's clothed in purple. Think of the prodigal son who when he returns home, his father in love calls for the best robe to be brought. This was shame removing. This was honor bestowing. In the ancient world, there were few honors as high as this. Jesus here promises the Laodiceans and us that those who go to him, those who place their trust in him, depend on him in faith, will be forgiven of all they've done wrong. They will be completely cleansed and, and, and made totally clean. And then they'll be given this new robe that's gleamingly bright, that's washed by the blood of the lamb. The shame of their sin will be covered, will be removed. The point here is that apart from forgiveness and the cleansing that Jesus Christ offers us, each of us is standing in shame. Each of us is standing in our rebellion against God. And we may try to cover this shame, this brokenness caused by our sin through, through forms of success that, that look like advancement and achievement. But as Jesus said to the Christians in Laodicea, these are false garments that are unable to cover Shame. They're unable to cover and remove sin. You need to go to the cross. You need to look to Jesus Christ. Jesus offers these gleaming bright robes cleansed by his blood. 
In other words, he offers to so completely forgive us and so deeply cleanse us that there is no remnant of shame left. The shame is gone. The brokenness is healed. And and a new life has begun. But without this deep cleansing and transformation, you'll spend your entire life looking for false imitation garments in order to cover this shame and guilt and brokenness. But today, if you know you're hanging on to the old filthy garments of your rebellion and your sin, and you know you're trying to cover your shame in these, with these empty things of success personal advancement, achievement, things that can never cover shame. It's time to turn to Jesus Christ. Go to him. Allow him to forgive you. Let him clean you out. Some of you may have read the short story by Hans Christian Andersen called The Emperor's New Clothes. In the story, two thieves approach an emperor who's known for his vanity and his love of fancy clothes. They tell him that they'll make clothing for him out of cloth that's invisible to everybody who is foolish. If you're foolish, you won't be able to see the clothing, but if you're wise, you will be able to see it. And so the emperor likes new clothes, he orders new clothes, and the thieves are pretending to make it. And so the king, the emperor sends an official, go check out for me what's happening. And so this official enters this room where these thieves are busy with, you know, pretending to make invisible clothes. There's nothing there, but they're pretending, they're thieves. But then the official wonders, is it possible that I am a fool? I didn't think I was, but maybe I am. But if I am a fool, I want to hide that. I don't want anyone else to know. And so he returns to emperor and says, the new clothes look amazing. They're going to look so good on you. And so another official checks it out, gives the same report. Finally, the emperor goes with his court officials. And when he enters the room, he thinks to himself, How is this? I see nothing. Can it be that I'm a fool? Can it be that I don't deserve to be the emperor? If anyone found out, they would revolt against me. And so out loud, he said, the cloth is charming. I approve of it completely. As you probably know, the story ends by him walking through the streets wearing nothing but invisible clothes and everyone applauding because No one wants anyone else to think that they are the fool, that they can't see the clothing that only wise people can see until finally a small, honest child exclaims, but the emperor has nothing on at all. And this is exactly how our world operates. So many struggle the lies that all you need is earthly gold. That's all you need. And then the lie that you can cover your shame and your guilt through the cloth of earthly success, advancement, achievement. But this cloth that the world offers us is actually nothing at all. Earthly gold provides nothing of eternal spiritual value. And earthly success, no matter how great, 
can never, ever remove the shame and the guilt caused by our sin. But the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ is that he offers us gold that's eternal and spiritual. Spiritual riches that far surpass whatever you could earn through your entire lifetime here on earth. And Jesus offers us gleamingly bright robes washed in his precious blood. Lives that are forgiven and cleansed of all sin in which all shame is removed. Yet we could miss out on these gifts. Remember, Jesus is speaking to believers in Laodicea. We could miss out on these gifts because of our earthly gold that fills our hands and weighs down our hearts to the point where we don't see our spiritual poverty. And we could miss out on this because of the false, invisible clothing that our world covers us with. If only we play their game. If only we do it their way. Yes, success and achievement. Put on these invisible clothes. And we could miss the fact that we stand in the shame of the nakedness of our sin. And we need robes that are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Today I pray that we recognize the emptiness, the the total emptiness of placing our faith in our earthly wealth and the futility of this rat race of trying to cover our shame and brokenness through our earthly success. Today let's place our faith in Jesus Christ by allowing him to be the one we depend upon, the the one who guides and directs, protects and provides for our lives. Let's let him give us eternal spiritual gold and let's let him clothe us in these robes that cover all shame, the robes of his righteousness, lives that are cleansed and, and, and made bright with his glory. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you call us to an entirely different reality that we could miss even as believers by letting our our vision and our eyes be filled with the things of this world. Lord, have mercy. Apart from your grace, we can't change our vision, but I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that you would break the hold that earthly gold and earthly success have upon our lives and that we'd spend our lives investing in spiritual, eternal gold and that we'd receive from you freely these these gleamingly bright robes cleansed by your precious blood. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.